day as we reflect on thy word, how important it is to consider thy son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the unspeakable gift that has been given to mankind. We thank you for Jesus and what he has done and how he has provided for us. And Father, I pray that we'd have a greater love for him today, having been in your house. May we have a greater appreciation for our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, there's a, a world that knows him not, who needs to hear of the great message of the gospel, a message of hope. And Lord, I pray today that we would uh, focus on that message of hope, the hope that we have, that we might desire to give it to others. And Lord, I pray for the Spirit of God, that he would convict of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, that, Lord, he would do his work in our hearts, as you promised that he would. And Father, I pray, if there's one without Jesus today, they'd come to know him as their Savior. But for those of us who know him as our Savior, that, Lord, we'd let him live his life through us in a greater degree. We thank you and praise you now in Jesus' name. Amen. After enwrapping all his presents, a little boy was asked, Did you get everything that you wanted for Christmas? The young little boy thought for a moment, and he said, no, but then it's not my birthday. You know, the celebration of Christmas is a celebration of God's only begotten Son coming to earth. It is God giving mankind an unspeakable gift. There are those who try to uh, deny the message of the gift by trying to rename it. Many of us have seen Xmas, or uh, uh, we try to change the names, uh, saying it's winter break instead of uh, Christmas. The following memo was sent by a school administrator. It said this, Dear staff, please remember that we live in a multicultural community, and it is not acceptable to continue to act and speak as if everyone celebrates Christmas as the birth of Christ. The use of the word Christmas and references to nativity or the birth of Christ is offensive to some members of our diverse community. Please remember to use neutral language in any of your decor, announcements, bulletin boards, and invitations. Use neutral language such as winter holiday, winter programs, etc. Can I tell you, just renaming the day doesn't change the fact of the day. Long before we became such a sophisticated nation uh, Christian, or Christmas was celebrated as the birth of Jesus Christ. So many are afraid of offending others by what we believe that they are unwilling to be identified with the one who saved them. As Americans, we have rights too. We have the right to stand and acknowledge the birthday of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, the freedom of speech goes both ways, folks. How can we keep silent about the greatest event that ever happened in world history? God sending his son, Jesus Christ, to come into the world to die for us that we might have redemption, we might have salvation through Jesus Christ. The prophets of old had been speaking about the birth of the Messiah for thousands of years. We see in the scriptures the particulars of his birth have been shared in great detail. In Isaiah 7.14, it talks about the birth 
uh, that Jesus was going to be born of a virgin. Isaiah 7, 14. We looked at it in Sunday school a little bit this morning. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. As I said this morning, if you have a revised vision of the Bible, I mean revised version of the Bible uh, that some people hold on to, it just says a young woman. Hey, it's not, nothing miraculous about a young woman having a child, but it is something miraculous about a virgin having a child. And God sent a sign, and a virgin, Mary, had a child. His name was Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Not only did the, the prophets talk about that he was going to be born of a virgin, but he was going to be of the tribe of Judah. In Genesis 49.10, it says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh, the Messiah, come. And unto him shall all the gathering of the people be. All the people of the world are going to be gathered to this one called Jesus. One day he's going to be there in Jerusalem. He's going to rule from that place. And all the world will acknowledge who he is. The Bible also talks about the prophets declared that he was going to be a descendant of King David. In Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7, it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Hey, there's going to be peace on this earth, but it's not going to come until Jesus comes. The Prince of Peace. And then there will be peace on this old earth. The Bible also declares by the prophets that he's going to be born in Bethlehem. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it says, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, which means fruitful, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet one of thee shall, uh, shall he come forth unto me, that is, to be a ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, of old, from everlasting. You know, God is from everlasting to everlasting. The one who is going to come and be uh, the, the Savior of the world is going to be, or was, was from everlasting to everlasting, as we shall see this morning. Today, we're going to examine this idea, the Word was made flesh. The Word was made flesh. Why is that so important? Why is that so important? The Word, as we read here, the Word was made flesh in verse number 14. Well, let me give you several things as we think of this word, the, the word, which is Jesus Christ, was made flesh. What made that, what made that so special? What is, what is the importance tied to that? Well, first of all, the eternal God took on flesh form. The eternal God took on flesh form. Go with me back to John chapter 1, verse 1. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the word was God. If you look at those little words, they, words are important in the scriptures. We believe in the verbal plenary inspiration of God. Not only the, con, or the, the intent, but the content. How the words are placed in the scriptures are important. And in this portion of scriptures, we look at this. The word was with God and the word was God. Uh, as we see this, the one to whom the apostle John is writing, he is referring to Jesus Christ. I want you to see three truths, important truths in this portion right here about the word 
As we see in verse number one, it says, in the beginning was the word. You say, well, what does that mean? In the beginning was the word. Well, before there was ever a world or before there was ever time, Jesus was with God. The word was with God. Uh, the word was already here before the beginning of all this. Before there were any stars in heaven, before there were any fish in the sea, before there was any man on the planet, before there was any of this, the word was here. Jesus Christ was here. Before the angels were created, Jesus Christ was here. In the beginning was the word. Notice, second of all, not only the word was in the beginning, but the word was with God. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. When God was creating all the heavens and the earth and all of this, Jesus Christ was with him. When God laid the, out the starry skies, the word was with him. When God established the dwelling place of man, and people say, well, pastor, you know what? I think that man's place is, you know, there, are, there is life on other planets. God says that he, that he created the earth to be inhabited. He didn't say that about any other planet. Well, you don't know whether God has life on other planets. We spend so much time trying to figure out what, that there's life on other planets. If we would just accept what God says, we'd save a whole lot of money. We'd say, well, we're going to inhabit the moon. We're not. You say, well, pastor, I think we should. Well, maybe you think so, but God says he created the earth to be inhabited. He's got a plan. That's where his son came to die. And it was on the earth. It wasn't on Venus. It was on the earth. And God had a plan. God established this place as the place where he was going to, man was going to be, his dwelling place. The word was right there when God created this place. The word was, notice, interesting though, the word was God. Now in this portion of scripture it says, and the word was God. You say, well, pastor, uh, you know, I'm a, a Jehovah witness and I believe that the word was a God. Well, there's no indefinite article in Greek and that's what the New Testament was written in. Here, there is no a there. That doesn't, the Jehovah witnesses believe that Jesus Christ was a God like, you know, you have other gods. No, I'm sorry, folks. There is, the Bible says here that Jesus was the very quality of God. He was God. How exciting that is. The word was God. When people saw Jesus, can I tell you something? They saw God. They saw God. The scriptures declare several things about this fact of God, that there's only one God. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 43. I hope you mark this in your scriptures, in your Bible. Isaiah chapter 43. Because a lot of people say, well, pastor, you know, there's, there's many gods. Uh, some teach that you will become a god. No, you're not going to become a god. Uh, there's, not, there's not many gods. Well, you are your own god. No, there, there's, there's no other god. There's one god, and the Bible declares it very clearly. Isaiah 43.10. This is what it says. God is speaking. He says, ye are my witnesses. Notice, saith the Lord. Notice it's capital L-O-R-D. It's the word Jehovah in the Hebrew. Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, speaking to the nation of Israel, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed. 
<laughs> Before God, there was no God formed. Oh, well, pastor, don't you know that there was, there was uh, uh, Diana? And, no, no, no. There's no. Before God, there was no God formed. That's what he says. Before me, there was no God formed. Neither shall there be, what? After me. Well, pastor, I think there's probably other gods up there. No. All the Greek mythology, people say, well, it's so interesting about Greek mythology. Can I tell you something? It's a religion. And it's false. And people are so enamored with that which uh, tries to get rid of God or to add to God. God says, let me tell you something. I'm sitting up here in heaven. I'm looking around. And there was no God before me. And there's not going to be a God after me. There's not going to be. Look at Isaiah 44, verse 6. There's only one God. Isaiah 44, verse number 6. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. Well, in Greek mythology, they've got this pantheon of, of gods who sit up there and, and you hear people talking, especially at Christmas time, about the fates. If fates allow. You know you're, what they're saying? If the gods allow. That's what they're talking about. Can I tell you something? There is no other gods up there. God says, I'm up here in heaven. I'm looking on both sides. There is, there's nobody beside me. There's no other gods beside me. People who have this idea that one day you're going to become a god and be able to populate your own planet. Can I tell you something? There is not, you're not going to become a god. God says, there is no god but me. There's only one god. Notice something else he says in verse, verse 8 of the same chapter. He says, fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee from that time and have declared it? Ye are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. <laughs> God says, I don't know any other God. There's no other God sitting up here with me. There's no other God ruling but me. I am God. So the scriptures very clearly define, is there other gods? Well, it tells you whether or not there is. People say, well, pastor, that's just your religion. No, this is the truth. And as Christians, we better get back to the truth God is the one who gave us the Bible. He gave us the truth so that we could understand his word and what, he, what is true and what is not true. Notice something else that the Bible declares for us. Not only is, that there is, uh, that there is one, only one God, but this one God is made up of three persons. Turn with me to 1 John chapter, number one, uh, chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. Now, I know that in, in a lot of these new translations... You say, Pastor, uh, why do you do, hold to the King James? We hold to the King James uh, Bible. I preach from the King James Bible. I believe it's the best translation for English-speaking people today. You say, well, Pastor, look at all these different translations. I understand. But if you study and find out where these other translations come from, many of these people that have developed these translations have come out with their own ideas, and that's why they come up with these translations. Do you realize King James Version is the the translate, uh, translation which is not copyrighted. You can make as many copies as you want, and, and it's free of charge. But you go with the other ones, you have to pay a royalty. Why is that? Well, folks, can I tell you something? I believe God has enabled us to be able to take the word of God and to spread it throughout the whole world. 
And praise God for it. Look at this, this verse right here, and many of the translations are not there. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 7, you say, well, it's in my verse, but what they do is they take this verse out, they take part of the one before and part of the one after, and they put it together and they make a verse 7. But look what it says here. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. These three are one. This one God is made up of three persons, the Father, the Son, Jesus Christ, or the Word, and the Holy Ghost. You know, as we look at this, we, this one God is made up of one. We, sometimes people will use the word Trinity. I think really the word and Trinity, sometimes Christians who don't know the, the Bible or study the Bible, they'll, they'll say, well, you know what? The word Trinity is right there. I say, where is it at in the Scriptures? It's not in the Scriptures. You can't find the word Trinity. But the principle of the triune three in one God is there. And that's why I believe the word triunity. We have three persons and yet one God. They're all co-equal. They're all co-eternal. It's God. And we find that here in the Scriptures. We know something else about God. The Bible declares that the nature of God is a spirit. Look with me in John chapter 4 and verse 24. John 4, 24. You say, why are these things important? You'll see here in just a moment. John chapter 4 and verse 24. Good to hear the rustling of the pages. You're looking. You say, well, pastor, I'm going from, I'm now in Genesis. Well, keep on going. Go back toward the back. It's back, you know, in the New Testament. If you have to look in the, in the table of contents in the beginning of your Bible, you can kind of scan down through. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then the Gospel of John. John chapter 4 and verse 24. Jesus is speaking here. He says, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Uh, this is very, uh, very significant truth, because before the word came to earth, he was already existing as a spirit. The Word was already existing as a spirit. We've seen that God is a spirit. Jesus Christ, before he came to earth, was spirit. Now notice, if we go back to John chapter 1, verse 14, we start putting some of these pieces together. John chapter 1, verse 14, the Word was made flesh. Look at, that, look at verse 14 of that portion we read. Now notice it has the word, the word word is capitalized, it's a name. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory and the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This one of whom John is referring is none other than Jesus. John calls the word, what? The only begotten of the Father. What does only begotten of the Father mean? Only the only one he's got. Can I tell you something? The Father did not have Jesus and Satan as sons. Jesus is the only begotten of the Father. You say, well, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Well, you say, well, that doesn't say that the only begotten is Jesus. No, I'm glad you said that. Let's go to John chapter number 20. Go to John chapter number 20. John chapter 20 and verse number 30. How do we know that the only begotten 
is Jesus. John chapter 20, verse 30. It says, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Can I tell you something? All the miracles that Jesus did in three and a half years are not found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is only just a small bit of what Jesus did in those three and a half years. Only a small bit. You say, well, how do you know? Drop over to chapter 21 for a second. Verse 25, the very last verse. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written, every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. You know, we have a few people, you know, Jesus raised this person from the dead, and he healed the blind people over here, and, and this blind person over here. And we say, well, that's, he just did a few things. No, no, no. The Bible says those that, that were sick and those that were had demons that came to him to be healed. The Bible says he healed everyone. And he went about every day. The Bible talks about he went about doing good, healing people and doing those different things. Could you imagine all the people that were healed by Jesus Christ in three and a half years? Could you do a lot in three and a half years? Goodness sakes. You know, I could imagine if Jesus came to St. Pat's Hospital up here and just started going down through the, the rooms and came and started touching people in the room. Hey, you're healed. You're healed. You're healed. You're healed. All of a sudden, the people say, hmm, I'm feeling so much better today. And they get up and they walk out. I guarantee you there would be some people. I mean, in a day, you could catch a lot of people in those rooms. I can guarantee you something. There would be some doctors that would be kind of upset. Hey, man, wait a minute. You need more drugs. No, no, no. I'm healed. I'm done. Jesus took care of me. Well, let's see. We'll go over to community hospital. Boom, 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 boom. Clean out the hospitals, wouldn't he? In a, in a, you know, a couple days, take care of those. But Jesus did it for three and a half years. Could you imagine all the people whose lives were changed because of Jesus in that amount of time? He was God. Look at verse number 31 of John chapter 20. But these are written, these few things that we have in here in these Gospels, these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. <coughs> Who? The Son of God. And that believing ye might have life through his name. How do we know that Jesus was the Messiah? Right here. Jesus was the Christ. He was the Messiah. He was the one who was promised in the Old Testament. He has come. Jesus is the Christ. He did those miracles to point out the fact that God was with man. And God could do what man could not do on his own strength. He was the Son of God. The Bible says he was made flesh. Ginomai is the word. He became, he was made flesh. That spirit that was in heaven, God who was God the Son, who was spirit, came down and inhabited a physical body. He took on flesh form. The word was made flesh. Paul speaks of this great miracle. Look with me in Philippians chapter number 2. Philippians chapter 2. In verse number 5, 
Paul says, let this mind, allow this mind to be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God. Morphe is the Greek word, the external appearance. God's appearance, as we said before he came down here, was what? Spirit. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. <laughs> Why? Because he was God. When Jesus said... Um, in John chapter 10, verse 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, uh, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. He was claiming to be God in the flesh. He said, no, 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 he was just one in, in the same direction, the same desire. No, no, he was claiming to be God. The Jews understood exactly what he was saying, and they were getting ready to stone him. He was claiming to be God in the flesh. God in the flesh. The Bible says, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Why? Because he is but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. He was made in the likeness of men. That word likeness is the idea of the image. The, uh, he was fashioned in the image of men. He was comprising everything in a person which strikes the, the senses, the figure, the bearing. He looked like man. He took on flesh form. May I share with you, when Jesus, the eternal Son of God, came to earth, he didn't take on him the nature or the likeness of angels, but he took on the likeness of man. Turn over with me to Hebrews, to the right from where you are in Philippians. Go to Hebrews, chapter number 2. Hebrews, chapter number 2. And verse number 9. It says, but we see Jesus. This portion is talking about Jesus. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels. For the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all one. You know what? As Christians, we're all one. The one who sanctifies, Jesus, and the one who have been sanctified, the Bible says, are one. We're one in Christ. We're in Christ. Praise God. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them his brethren saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me. Notice verse 14. For as much then as, as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he, and the he is referring back to verse number 9, Jesus also himself likewise took part of the same that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him 
to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he, hath, he himself hath suffered, being tempted, he is able to succor or help them that are tempted. May I share with you as you consider this portion of Scripture that Jesus Christ, the eternal God, he came down and took on flesh form. He took on flesh form. Why did he do that? So that, number one, he might destroy the devil. That's what it said in verse 14. That he himself likewise took on part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. He might destroy Satan and his power. Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, he, was, he shed his blood for our sin. But on that third day, he rose again. Jesus said, no man taketh my life from me. Jesus said that. He says, I willingly give it down that I might take it up again. You know what? When we die, we can't say, okay, I've been dead for a while. Now I'm going to get back up. It's just not how it works. But Jesus... The Bible had recorded that he was going to raise from the dead. Jesus told him over and over and over again, on the third day I'm going to raise. I'm going to raise myself back up. We can't do that. But Jesus could. And he destroyed the power of Satan on that, on that day. Satan's power was destroyed. Praise God. So, well, boy, I'll tell you what. Uh, Satan sure attacks me, but you know what? Greater is in Greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. Amen. Why? Because we have a risen Savior. Jesus Christ came to deliver us from sin. The Bible also says in verse 15, And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. He came to deliver us from sin and death. And that fear. You know, there's a lot of people that fear death. There's a lot of people that are, that are fearful today of death, and they say, well, what happens when I die? You know, I don't want to think about death, because if I think about death, then it's going to cause me to, you know, you know I don't know where I'm going to go. Hey, can I tell you something? As a Christian, you don't have to fear death. As a child of God, you don't have to fear death, because Jesus, who took on our form, God came down in, in, in a form like us to be willing to die for us on a cross, to deliver us, from that fear of death and the power of Satan. Folks, can I tell you something? To die for a Christian is not a bad thing. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Hey, there's no more sorrow. There's no more death. Some of us have experienced that of loved ones this past year. Can I tell you something? They're rejoicing today. There's great hope and there's great joy. Why? Because Jesus died on the cross? Yes, because he died for our sins. But it's not just that. He rose again. And we have hope in Jesus Christ. We don't have to fear death. Notice something else that we see about Jesus Christ. Him taking on our form. He came to do that so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest, as verse 17 says. He knows what it is to be tempted by sin. How many have been tempted? How many have been tempted this week? You say, Pastor, man, if you only knew, I've been tempted today, already, at the beginning of the day. But you know what? Jesus Christ knows what it is to be tempted, but he also knows what it is to be victorious. And as you trust in his power and his strength, he can make you victorious. I'd make you an overcomer of this 
of, of the things of this world. Praise God. He has experienced sorrow and loneliness. You know, there's a lot of people that are lonely at this time of the, of the year. A lot of people, they don't have loved ones. They don't have family, and so they're lonely. Can I tell you something? Jesus understands loneliness. He came into, his wor into the world, and the world knew him not. He created all these people. He gives life to all that are here. They didn't even know who he was. What a miraculous thing that the eternal God would be made flesh for us. Consider a second point as we look back at that, that verse. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But notice, the Word of God dwelt among men. Look at, back at John chapter 1, verse 14. John chapter 1, verse 14. Not only was God come down, He was with God and was God, but look at verse 14. And the Word was made flesh, notice, and dwelt among us. Dwelt among us. Jesus was not a, just a ghost or a figment of someone's imagination. He was God in the flesh on earth. Look at 1 John. Go, back, go to 1 John chapter number 1. 1 John chapter number 1. There were some people that believed that Jesus was just a ghost. He was just a phantom. He just kind of appeared, but he wasn't in real flesh. And we come down to John chapter number, 1 John chapter 1, and look as the Apostle John is now uh, dispelling that, that thinking that Jesus was just a ghost. He was just a spirit that came down for a while, and then he went back to, went back to heaven. No, look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, they heard it, consider the senses that he's talking about. We heard him which we have seen with our eyes, which our hands have looked upon. That's that idea they looked, they gazed. Uh, it's where we get our word theater. It's this Greek word. that When you sit and you watch something in a theater, you sit there and you gaze upon it. You're watching intently. That's a, the word that's used here. They watched, they studied Jesus, and it says, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show it unto you, that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. Jesus Christ, God's Son, God in the flesh, came down, and we touched Him. We handled Him. We, we felt Him. We heard His voice. We saw Him. They had seen the life of Jesus in action. They could see firsthand, firsthand how God would handle various situations of life. Why? Because the Word, Jesus Christ, dwelt among men. Mankind saw a life which was totally controlled by the Spirit of God. Jesus Christ, His life, was totally controlled by the Spirit of God. The decisions he thought, the words that he spoke, were controlled by him. Mankind saw a life which was yielded to the Father's will. 
John 6, 38, it says, For I came down, Jesus said, For I came down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. You say, well, pastor, if I could just find one person that was really totally sold out for God, then I'd believe. Can I tell you something? Jesus was such a person. I believe it was D.L. Moody said this, if I could find a hundred men who were sold out to God, hated sin and nothing else, we had changed the world. Totally sold out. Jesus Christ was one who was totally sold out to the Father. Mankind saw a life which was dedicated to one purpose, pleasing the Father. In John chapter number 8, verse 29, Jesus said, And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things which please him. You say, well, Pastor, what, what does that mean? You do always the things that please him. I, I want to please Jesus with my life. But I'm telling you here today, there was one who did always the things that pleased the Father. That was Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't talk about a life of righteousness. He lived it. He lived it before others. He demonstrated how to have a balance of mercy and truth. The Bible says nobody spake like Jesus. No man spoke with the authority like Jesus did. Even a Roman centurion who watched Jesus dying on the cross and, and people mocking and ridiculing him and, and doing all that, there was a difference in the life of this person, Jesus, and how he died. Consider what Matthew 27, verse 54 says. Now when the centurion when they, and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things which were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. Folks, when you wanted to see how Jesus thought about different things, all you had to do was look at Jesus. Jesus, how would God have me to walk? All you got to do is read the Gospels and look at Jesus. How, well, how did He decide? What decisions did He make in His life? All you got to do is look at the life of Jesus and you will see exactly how God expects you to live. Turn with me, if you would, to back to Matthew chapter 5 for a second. These are called the Beatitudes many times. Jesus on the, on the mountain, he's pulled people together, his disciples, those people that, that wanted to follow him, they, they came to him as he was teaching. And notice what he says in this portion in verse number 2 of chapter 5 of Matthew. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit? We don't think that poor people are good at it for anything. Can I tell you something? God's perspective is this. Blessed, happy are the poor in spirit. It's not about what you've got in this world that makes you happy. The poor in spirit, you know what? God, I need you. I may not have lots of things, but I've got you. And he says, he wants us to understand, blessed or happy are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know what? If I've got Jesus I've got God in my heart. I've got the Father. I've got all I need. 
He's all my sufficiency. Notice the next verse. Blessed, happy are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Pastor, you know what? When there's time of mourning, people don't look at themselves as being happy people. But God says, blessed, happy are they that mourn. Why? Because look at the outcome of that. If you know God, if you know Jesus, you are going, God is going to do what? Comfort you. The God of all comfort can comfort you in all your tribulation. There's a hope in Jesus Christ. Blessed, verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Well, you know, pastor, I tell you what, I know who's going to inherit the earth. Uh, you know what, we hear evolution, uh, survival of the fittest, the people that are the strongest, the people that have got the most, those people are going to inherit this world. God says, let me just tell you something. Let me give you a newsflash. Those people, God knows how to abase. He knows how to take them down. He says, I'm telling you who's going to inherit this old earth. It's going to be those that are meek. I didn't say weak. I said meek. That's veiled strength. Jesus was meek. Moses was referred to as the meekest man. But you know what? His power, Moses' power was in God. Jesus was a meek man. He wasn't a weak man. He was God. God said, I'm just telling you something. Blessed are the meek. You know what? I need to put down myself. Where the world says, put up yourself so people can see how great you are. That's not how God wants us to look. God says, let John the Baptist put it this way. He must increase, talking of Jesus, but I must decrease. I need to put myself down. Well, pastor, you won't have a good self-esteem. Oh, yeah, I will have a good self-esteem. Because when I realize that I am nothing without him, then Jesus Christ is my everything. Jesus said in John 15, 5, without me ye can do nothing. You know, the problem with Christianity today, we don't need Christ. I can, I can live Christianity on my own. I, can, I just read my Bible and I've done Christianity. No, you haven't. Because, see, God says, let me help you with your perspective. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those people that come to that place who realize that without him, we can do nothing. I can't live my Christian life. I can't be the type of father that I, want, I, I ought to be. I can't be the mother I ought to be. Without Jesus, it's impossible. The place of having peace and the place of having joy is in Jesus Christ. In Him, it, with Him, in His presence is fullness of joy. Do I want to have joy in my life? If I do, I need to have Jesus more in my life today than I've ever had before. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Why? For they shall be filled. The hunger and thirst after righteousness, Jesus put it this way, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, talking of the, the necessities of life, all these things shall be added unto you. You know what we do? We put the necessities on top and we put the things of God down here and if we get a chance, well then we'll think about God. Well, let me tell you something, you're never going to be happy and you're not going to be a happy person when you don't have God as first priority in your life. He's telling you how to think. He's telling you where, you're, what is, where joy is found. To be happy. Blessed are, are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. You know, pastor, you see people that are, that are 
that are uh, having a rough time. Well, you know what? We ought to help people that are having a rough time. Now, let me just say, help you understand something now. If there are people who are begging, who should be working, there's a different thing. There's a different thing. The Bible says, if a man shall not work, neither shall he eat. I was talking with uh, my son the other day, and they had a, in their Christian school, they were trying to raise money for their, their school, I guess, and, and they, had, they, they had those Otis Spunkmeyer. How many like Otis Spunkmeyer cookies? Oh, that's good stuff. And it's really good if you get it frozen. You know, you can get, get their little balls like that. You can put them in your freezer and you can pop them out. And you don't even, I don't, we don't even, I don't even cook them. I just pop them right in. They're good, just like, the, you know, the, the, that cookie dough with the chocolate. They're wonderful. So they had this fundraiser and they were selling cookie dough. And uh, the people would pay for, paid for the cookie dough. And uh, they, uh, but then they, they got this little note. They bought it way back in October. And they got this little note. Uh, due to a lack of shortage, uh, we're not able to have, you, to have your cookie dough until after the first of the year. They were supposed to have had it like in November. But you know what? Amazing, they had Christmas cookies out during that time. I said, well, it's easy. They had your money. Why? You know, they, they, got, they, got, they got the money. Now they can just go on with their product. Now when things slow down, then they'll come out with that. Folks, can I tell you something? What? Blessed are the merciful. There, there, there are some people that are, they won't work. And the reason they said, they said, we don't, we, we have a problem of getting our product out. And the problem is, uh, with many stores is they don't have people to work. Folks, can I tell you something? Our nation is in a mess. But it could get turned around if we just get back to God. We get back to Jesus Christ. He is the hope. And people who could work, should work. There's jobs all over the place. But you know what? People that are hurting, people that, that need help, we need to help. I think, I was thinking of Glenda King. Lost her husband. Doing a, doing a work for the Lord. You know what? We tried to help and we did. Folks, may I share with you? We ought to help people that are in need like that. We ought to be a blessing. That's what it says. Blessed, happy are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. I'll tell you what, when you're going through a rough time, don't you like to have mercy? God says, blessed are those that are merciful. When you're merciful to others, guess what? In the time of your needing, your needing mercy, God will give you mercy. If you're stingy and you're only thinking about yourself, and it's only about you, can I tell you something? When it comes time for you to have mercy, God says, well, I'll just let you have the same type of thing that you had toward others. Blessed. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Pure in heart. What does that mean? Keep sin out of your life. The things that offend God. Happy is the person who has that right mind. Whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely. Well, I'll just watch whatever I want to watch. I'll just see whatever I want to see. I'll listen to the music I want to listen to. It doesn't matter. Well, stop and look at it for a moment. Is it meeting the criteria of that which is righteous and holy? If it's not, can I tell you something? God says, blessed, happy are those that are pure in heart, for they shall what? See God. Would God be happy with what you're watching? Would God be happy with what you're seeing? Would God be happy with what you're doing? Jesus says, well, this is the type of things you're supposed to think about. This is the type of things you're supposed to be living. This is supposed to be where you're at. 
Here's a person who's spirit-controlled. Spirit Here's a person, Jesus Christ, dwelt among men where people could see it in living color. Notice the third thing very quickly, and we, we conclude. The Word was full of grace and truth. Go back to John chapter 1, verse 14, the last part. I wonder how many Christians today are looking to Jesus to pattern their life after Jesus Christ, letting Him live His life through them. John chapter 1, verse 14, the last part of that verse. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That word full is the idea of being filled up completely. Jesus was full of two things, grace and truth. Grace is the, charis is the Greek word, it means favor. Someone has defined grace this way, God's unmerited favor. For example, in Genesis 6-8, it says, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah, remember the whole world was evil, was wicked. And God destroyed all the earth except for Noah, his wife, his three sons, and his three wives. Noah found favor with God. God didn't destroy Noah and his family. Praise God. We wouldn't be here if Noah would have been destroyed. Jesus in Luke 2.52 says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Matthew 3.17 says, And lo, a, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hey, there was a favor of God was upon Jesus. Why? Because he was baptized. Another person has put grace this way. God's riches at Christ's expense. This is referring not to what was given to Jesus, but how he responded to others. He responded with grace. He responded with grace. The word grace means favors, gifts, acts of uh, benefits. Seeking a man's welfare by great sacrifice and love, so that, uh, and so much so, that it might be said to be characteristic of him. Jesus Christ was, was, had showed grace toward people. He showed favor toward people. Wouldn't you like to be around a person like that? He was always looking out for the benefit of other people. He was doing good for other people. Acts 10, verse 38 says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. That's what Jesus did. Folks, Jesus said that we're to be like the Master, like Jesus. That means we're supposed to go about doing good. For myself? No, doing good for others. That's what Jesus did. It's quite a contrast in the day in which we live. Smash and crash and, and steal out of the stores. Folks, that's not being good. That's the opposite of what God says. That's what Satan says. Jesus was full of grace. He was also full of truth. The word aletheia is the Greek word. It means it's what is true in any matter under consideration. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Hey, how do we know the truth? You've got to know Jesus in order to know the truth. He spoke the truth in love. He spoke the hard things, but demonstrated that 
he truly cared for others. When the woman was caught in adultery and was brought to Jesus and the, the people were saying, you know what, the Old Testament, the Scripture said, you know, she's supposed to be, uh, supposed to be killed. <laughs> Jesus was the Word made flesh. So when he spoke, he was speaking the truth. That's why he spoke like no other person. You want to see what this is all about? You look at Jesus. And Jesus wrote down on the ground and said, He that's without sin cast the first stone. Did she deserve to be stoned if they went by the law only? Absolutely. There's a spirit of the law and the letter of the law. The spirit of the law... God has a heart for people to come to himself, to come to him. And you know, as the people said, he that's without sin, cast the first stone. Well, let me see. Uh, well, I, uh, should I pick up my stone? I'm, I'm sure they were ready to stone her. All of a sudden, those stones just kind of fall out of their hand. And, see, I, I lied. I better not throw the first stone. Uh, this person over here, this, that person gets up and he starts leaving. This person, well, you know what? I cheated. Uh, I, I got angry over here. That's, you know, I must, hey, that person's animal that I was supposed to give him back, I kept to myself. Uh, I better not. So I drop him the stones, and, and all of a sudden, as Jesus looks up, and he says, uh, where are your accusers? They're all gone. Jesus, in his mercy, says, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Well, I tell you what, that was a rejoicing day for her. Rejoicing day, forgiveness from Jesus Christ. Henry Ward Beecher pastored in Brooklyn, New York, beginning in 1847. He was invited to attend a meeting at the Atheist Club where the famous agnostic Robert Ingersoll was speaking. He attended the meeting and he watched Ingersoll ridicule the Christian faith. When Ingersoll was finished with his speech, he said, Beecher... Do you have anything to say in defense of Christianity? Mr. Beecher was a, Pastor Beecher was there. He, he, he responded, he said, ladies, ladies and gentlemen, you'll please forgive me for I've been shaken a little bit. He said, on the way to the meeting today, I saw something that really shook me up. I saw a blind man who was standing on the curb and a little boy was getting ready to lead him across the street. About that time, a big ruffian came up and, uh, to the blind man and he shoved the boy aside and he took the poor blind man's crutches and he broke them and he tore them up. And then he began to beat and batter the blind man, the crippled man to the ground. And Ingersoll asked him, he says, do you know who that man was that was doing that to that blind man? And Beecher looked at him and he replied, Ingersoll, you're the man. Man is poor and blind and a beggar. He has few supports in his life and, and fewer indeed who are willing to give him any help at all. And what do you do? You take away the few props man has, uh, has, has uh, the few props that man has away, uh, you take away those props that man has and you've thrown him away, that encouragement, and you pushed him aside. You are the man, Ingersoll. I would say to every infidel and every unbeliever that you are the man who would rip hope 
out of the hearts of poor people who, are, who, have, who want something more and better out of this life than this old world has to offer. Folks, may I share with you today that Jesus Christ came to give life and to give it more abundantly. Someone that says, well, Christianity is just a crutch. I like what somebody else said. Well, pretty good if you're a cripple. You know what? Sin has crippled us. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. There's none righteous, no, not one. It's appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. Folks, we're all in need of a Savior. And Jesus Christ came to be that Savior, to do what we could not do, to die in our place, to suffer our punishment on the cross. What a miracle that God would become flesh. Let me ask you today, have you received God's gift of grace, Jesus Christ, as your Savior? Does your life reflect the life of Jesus? A life full of grace and truth. I pray today as we think about our life, what is our life all about? See, when Jesus comes into our life and truly comes into our life, our life is different. The world, it's all about me and mine, and what I've got, guys. When we get saved, my life is about others. Is your life reflecting Jesus Christ today? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you today for this time that we've been able to be in your word. And Father, we thank you today that we've been able to think about Jesus Christ, God in the flesh coming to earth, God, I pray today that we would understand and consider how important and miraculous that gift was. Father, may we not turn away Jesus from our life. May, if we do not know him as our Savior, I pray today that we would ask him to come into our heart and save us. I pray today that if we know you as our Savior, that, Father, our life would reflect Jesus in our life. Lord, that we'd think the thoughts that you desire of us. That we'd live a life that would be pleasing to you. That we let your spirit guide us. Father, I thank you today for this time. And I pray, God, for your hand to be upon us this day. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let me ask you right now, are you sure you're saved? You say, well, pastor, I prayed some words. <laughs> I prayed and said, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I want him to come into my heart. You know, there's a difference between praying some words and meaning it in your heart. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, that means to come into agreement with God, what he says about his son, that he is the only Savior. Jesus came and died on the cross. He was virgin-born. He died on the cross, shed his blood. He was buried and the third day rose again. We have to come into agreement with him about his son. But in verse number 10, he goes on to say, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, 
See, in my heart, I decide whether it's really true what all this is all about. It's not just a mere head knowledge. It's a life-changing. I believe I'm a sinner, and I don't want to go the way of sin any longer. I want to follow Jesus Christ. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. If you're not following Jesus Christ, perhaps the reason why you're not following Christ is because you're not his sheep. You're not doing what he says because you're not his sheep. Your desire is not to, to do what he wants you to do, to think on the things that he wants you to think on, to live the way he wants you to live. It's because you're not there, because you're not saved. Can't expect anything less than a lost, from a lost person than to act like a lost person. The things of God are foolishness. But to a person who loves Jesus and truly knows him, understands that there's a life change difference. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. My life is different because of Jesus. If you're not sure you're saved today, I may encourage you right now in the quietness of your heart to pray and ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart and save you. So how do you do that? By truly meaning what God says. You believe that Jesus was... God's son who came into the world to die for you and for your sins. You deserve to go to hell. But Jesus, in his mercy, died for you. And because of that, you ought to live for him. Right now, in the quietness of your heart, you can pray a simple prayer like this. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. And I do believe Jesus died for me. I believe he was buried and rose again the third day. I want him to come into my heart and into my life and save me right now. I want to live for him the rest of my life. If you don't mean that, don't pray it. But let me tell you, if you don't mean it, you're not saved either. Because salvation is not just a game, it's life. If you prayed and asked Jesus to be your Savior, it's the greatest decision you could ever make in your life. Jesus comes into our life when we ask him to, and he will make you a new person. But let me ask you this. Are you rejoicing because Jesus Christ has come into your life? Is your life different? Perhaps today God spoke into your heart and said, Pastor, man, my life needs to change in some areas. I, I see how I need to be thinking. I need to be spending more time thinking about Jesus and looking at his life and how he responded so I can respond that way. If you're like that today, you say, Pastor, please pray for me. If you're like that, would you slip your hand up? Is there anyone like that? Yes. Amen. Yes. Amen. Yes, I see those hands. Dear Father, we pray today. As decisions have been made in the hearts and lives of people, pray, God, that you would just use this invitation time to draw us to yourself. Father, I pray that you would help us to consider the fact that your son came into the world. Left such a wonderful example. Life-changing life. Father, we thank you and praise you. May our life be like his. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Brother Scott's going to lead us in a song of invitation. Let's all stand.
If you're not sure you're saved, let me encourage you to come. And to ask, uh, you can ask Jesus to be your Savior. We'd love to share with you how to be saved today. If, you're not, if you've been saved but you've never been baptized, to identify with Jesus, that's the first step of obedience. Why not show the Lord that you, that you believe in him? You're willing to follow him in believer's baptism. You need to come. Maybe you just need to come and say, Lord, there's some things I need to talk to you about right now that you would change in my life. See, understanding there needs to be change is one thing. Doing something about it is something different. If you don't do something about a change, there will never be a change. You'll just continue to keep walking down the same path. If I'm a grumpy, frumpy old person, and you say, you know what, I need to change. But I just get out of here and go home, and I'm a grumpy, frumpy old person. Can I tell you something? You're going to be a grumpy, frumpy old person. Right? But if you say, God, you know what? I need to change how I'm talking to people. Lord, help me to have sweet speech. Help me to say the things that are right. And I start say, hey, you know what? I'm so glad you're here today. Mom, Dad, just want to let you know I appreciate you. Probably scare him to death. <laughs> but you know what? It's letting Jesus live his life in you. Think of what Jesus did. He went about doing what? Good. Maybe our lives need to change. Let's take the steps in those directions. Brother Scott.